Volume One, Chapters Two and Three of A Strange World by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Two, behind the scenes. James Penwin and Maurice Clissold went to the Ebersham Theatre as soon as they had eaten their dinner and smoked a single cigar apiece, lounging by the open window in the gloaming, talking over their afternoon's adventure. What a fellow you are, Jim! cried maurice with a half contemptuous half compassionate air as if for the foolishness of a child to hear you go on about that scarecrow of a girl one would suppose you had never seen a pretty woman in your life i never saw prettier eyes said james and she has a manner that a fellow might easily fall in love with so simple so childish so confiding which means that she gazed with undisguised admiration upon the magnificent squire penwin of penwin manor a woman need only flatter you jim for you to think her a venus that poor little thing didn't flatter me she's a great deal too innocent no she only admired you innocently opening those big blue eyes of hers to their widest in a gaze of rapture was it the locket or the studs or the moustache i wonder that struck her most don't be a fool clissold if we are to go to the theatre we'd better not waste any more time i want to see what kind of an actor our friend is student of humanity jeered maurice even a provincial player is not beneath your notice cuvier was profound upon spiders penwin has a mind of a wider range what is his name by the by mused james thinking of mr elgood we don't even know his name and we've asked him to supper that's rather awkward isn't it be sure he will come no doubt he has already speculated on the possibility of borrowing five pounds from you mr penwin rang the bell and gave his orders with that easy air of a man unaccustomed to count the cost the best supper the waterfowl could provide at half-past eleven they walked along the lonely road into ebersham the waterfowl inn was upon one of the quietest most obscure roads leading outside the city not the great coach-road to london bordered for a mile beyond the town by snug villas and bandboxical detached cottages orderly homes of retired traders but by a by-road leading to a village or two of no consequence save to the few humble folks who lived in them this road followed the wind of the river which traversed the lower end of ebersham and it was for its vicinity to the river and a something picturesque in its aspect that the two friends had chosen the waterfowl as their resting-place there was a small garden behind the inn which sloped to the edge of the stream and a rustic summer-house where the young men smoked their pipes after dinner between the waterfowl and ebersham the landscape was low and flat on one side a narrow strip of marshy ground between road and river with a scrubby brush here and there marking the boundary on the other a tall neglected hedgerow at the top of a steep bank divided by the road by a wide weedy ditch the two friends entered ebersham through a gothic archway called lowgate the old town had been a strongly fortified city famous for its walls and there were several of these stone gateways the theatre stood in the angle of a small square almost overshadowed by the mighty towers of the cathedral as if the stage had gone to the church for sanctuary and protection from the intolerance of bigots here mr penwin and mr clissold placed themselves among the select few of the dress circle a cool and airy range of seats whose sparsely scattered occupants listened with rapt attention to the gloomy prosings of the stranger james penwin was not ravished by that germanic drama even mrs haller bored him she dropped her h's and expressed the emotions of grief and remorse by spasmodic chokings and catchings of her breath 
but mr penwin lighted up a little when the countess appeared for the countess had the large melancholy blue eyes of the girl he had met in the meadow miss elgood did not look her best on the stage tall slim and willow-waisted sharp of elbow and angular of shoulder dressed in cheap finery soiled satin tarnished silver lace murky marabouts badly painted with two dabs of rouge that were painfully visible upon the pure pale of her young cheeks artistically justina was a failure and feeling herself a failure suffered from an inability to dispose of her arms and a lurking conviction that the audience regarded her with loathing mr clissold exchanged his front seat for a place on the hindmost bench before the stranger was half-way through his troubles and here secure in the shade slept comfortably james penwin endured two acts and a half and then remembering mr elgood's offer to show him life behind the scenes slipped quietly out of the dress circle and asked the box-keeper how he was to get to the side scenes that official sweetened by a liberal donation unlocked a little door behind the proscenium box a door sacred to the manager and let mr penwin through into the mystic world of behind the scenes he would hardly have done such a thing under a responsible lessee but in a commonwealth morals become relaxed the mystic world looked dark and dusty and smelt of gas and dirt to the unaccustomed senses of mr penwin the voices on the stage sounded loud and harsh now that they were so near his ear there was hardly room for him to move between the side scenes and the wall indeed it was only by screwing himself against this whitewashed wall that he made his way in the direction which a scene-shifter had indicated as the way to the green-room mr penwin's experience of life had never before led him behind the scenes he had a vague idea that a green-room was a dazzling saloon lighted by crystal chandeliers lined with mirrors furnished with divans of ruby velvet an idolized copy of a club-house smoking-room he found himself in a small dingy chamber carpetless curtainless uncleanly provided with narrow bays covered benches and embellished with one cloudy looking-glass on either side whereof flared an unscreened gas-jet here over the narrow wooden mantel-shelf hung casts of pieces in preparation jack shepherd delicate ground courier of lions box and cocks a wide range of dramatic art and calls for next day's rehearsal here in diverse attitudes of weariness lounged various members of the dramatic commonwealth among them mr elgood in the frogged coat crimson worsted pantaloons and hessian boots of the baron and justina seated disconsolately with her limp satin trailing over the narrow bench beside her studying her part in the piece for to-morrow night my dear sir exclaimed matthew elgood shaking hands with enthusiasm this is kind Dempson this to a gentleman in mufti small sallow close-cropped and smelling of stale tobacco this is my pioneer of to-day mr dempson mr stay we did not exchange cards penwin said james smiling mr elgood stared at the speaker curiously as if he hardly believed his own ears as if this name of penwin had some strange significance for him penwin he repeated that's a cornish name isn't it by tray pole and pen you may know the cornish men there is nothing more cornish i was born and brought up near london but my race belongs to the cornish soil we were indigenous at penwin i believe the founders and earliest inhabitants of the settlement do you know cornwall not intimately merely as a traveller were you ever at penwin i don't think so i have no recollection 
well it's a place you might easily forget not a promising locality for the exercise of your art but you seemed struck by my name just now as if you had heard it before i think i must have heard it somewhere but i can't recall the occasion let that pass and with a majestic wave of the hand mr elgood performed the ceremony of introduction mr dempson mr penwin mr penwin mr dempson mr dempson is our sometime manager now a brother professional he has resigned the round and top of sovereignty and the carking cares of saturday's treasury mr dempson assented to this statement with a plaintive sigh a harassing profession the drama mr penwin he said the many-headed is a monster of huge ingratitudes james bowed assent the provincial stage is in its decline sir time was when this very theatre could be kept open for ten consecutive months in every year to the profit of the manager and when the good old comedies and the shakespearean drama were acted week after week to an intelligent and approving audience nowadays a man must rack his brains in order to cater for a frivolous and insatiable public which has been taught to consider a house on fire or a railway smash the end and aim of dramatic composition i speak from bitter experience my grandfather was manager of the eversham circuit and retired with a competency my father inherited the competency and lost it in the eversham circuit i have been cradled in the profession and have failed as manager with credit to my head and heart as my friends have been good enough to observe some three or four times and now hang on to dramatic art quite out of fashion like a rusty nail in monumental armour that's what i call the decline of drama mr penwin james assented and was not sorry that mr dempson having vented his woe went off to dress for the afterpiece what a melancholy person said james an excellent low comedian replied mr elgood you'll hear the people screaming at him in the spitterfields weaver by and by his business with the tea and bread and butter is the finest thing i ever saw not second to rights indeed added mr elgood as an afterthought i believe it is wright's business then it can hardly claim the merit of originality genius mr penwin finds its material where it can baron screamed a small boy putting his head in at the door my scene exclaimed mr elgood and vanished james seated himself on the narrow bench beside justina i have been in the boxes to see you act he said in that gentle winning voice which had made him a favourite among women to justina it sounded fresh as a voice from another world no one in her world spoke like that in tones so deferential with accents so pure i am very sorry for it said justina sorry but why because you must hate me the audience always do hate me i feel it in their looks feel it freezing me directly i go on the stage oh there she is again they say to themselves can't they manage to get through the piece without sending her on what a curious notion i thought actresses were conceited people yes when they are favourites i don't know about the rest of the audience miss elgood said james almost tenderly but i know i did not hate you my feelings leaned too much the other way justina blushed through those two dabs of rouge compliments were so new to her and a compliment from this elegant stranger was worth all the loud praises of the vulgar herd she hardly envied miss vilroy the leading lady 
whose chokings and sobbings in mrs howler had been applauded to the echo while the poor countess in her draggle-tailed sky-blue satin had walked on and off unnoticed so this is the way you enjoy the legitimate drama mr penwin said a sonorous voice the full rich baritone of maurice clissold and looking up james and justina beheld that gentleman watching them from the doorway i left you asleep replied james abashed by his friend's advent yes sneaked off and let me to grope my way to this abominable den as best i could i beg your pardon miss elgood but it really is a den you can't hate it worse than i do said justina or so badly i have to sit here every night poor child it's a strange life and a hard one seen from the outside there seems a not unpleasant bohemian flavour about it but when one comes behind the scenes the bohemian flavour appears to be mainly dirt i've inhaled enough dust and escaped gas within the last ten minutes to last me comfortably for my lifetime and you breathe this atmosphere for four or five hours every night poor child james sighed his benevolent heart longed to rescue the girl from such a life a girl with pensive violet eyes fringed by darkest lashes soft brown hair so luxuriant that it made a crown of plates upon the well-shaped head altogether a girl whom benevolence would fain benefit come jim said clissold who had a knack of reading his friend's thoughts you've seen enough of behind the scenes no i haven't answered james sturdily as the countess ran off to act her part in the close of the play he was wont to be plastic as wax in the hands of his guide philosopher and friend but to-night there glowed a spark of rebellion in his soul i am going to stop to see mr elgood and to ask him to bring his daughter to supper bring his daughter to visit two young men at a roadside inn swat said james can a girl be safer anywhere than with her father look here penwin said clissold earnestly i've made it the business of my life for the last two years to keep you in the straight path i won't have you kicking over the traces for any blue-eyed chit in the universe remember what i promised your poor mother jim that you'd act the part of an elder brother supply the balance of good sense wanting to my shallow brains that's all very well maurice i always respected my poor mother's ideas even when they took the shape of prejudices but a man must enjoy his life yes but he is bound to enjoy life with the least possible injury to other people whom am i going to injure demanded mr penwin with an impatient shrug as he moved towards the wings you are putting foolish ideas into that poor child's head what nonsense simply because i am civil to her i mean to ask her to supper whether you like it or not i hope her father will have the sense to refuse if you come to that i'll invite the whole company cried the spoiled child of fortune the curtain came down at this moment and mr elgood returned to the green room unbuckling his sword-belt as he came along i waited to remind you of your promise to sup with us to-night mr elgood said james my dear sir it is not an engagement to be forgotten i shall be there will half-past eleven be too early no the stranger has played quick to-night and the afterpiece is short i shall be there miss elgood will accompany you i hope thanks no the proprieties would be outraged by her appearance at a bachelor's table the only lady present we could easily remedy that if any other lady of the company would honour us upon my word you are very kind 
and i know the child would consider it a treat if you put the question in such a friendly manner i feel sure that mr and mrs dempson would be delighted to join us pray bring them is mrs dempson also dramatic you have seen her to-night in one of her greatest parts mrs haller i thought the lady was a miss vilroy her professional name merely joe dempson and miss vilroy have been united in the sacred bonds of matrimony for some years i shall be charmed to make the lady's acquaintance you know your way to the waterfowl it is familiar to me as the path of my infancy and you'll be sure to bring miss elgood judy shall come without fail judy the pet name chosen by affection she was christened justina pardon me if i leave you hastily i play in the next piece mr elgood hurried away james penwin glanced at his friend with a glance of triumph out of leading strings you see maurice he said maurice clissold shrugged his shoulders and turned away with a sigh james more touched by silence than reproof put his arm through his friends with a gay laugh and they went out of the green-room and out of the theatre together arm in arm like brothers who loved each other three éveillons le plaisir son horreur est la nuit the supper at the waterfowl was a success every one except perhaps clissold was in the humour to be pleased with everything and even clissold could not find it in his heart to make himself vehemently disagreeable amidst mirth so harmless gaiety so childishly simple to an actor supper after the play is just the one crowning delight of life that glimpse of paradise upon earth which we all get in some shape or other a supper at a comfortable hostelry like the waterfowl where the landlord knew how to do things in good style for a customer who could pay the piper was certainly not to be despised in this northern district there was a liberal plenty a bounteous wealth of provision hardly known elsewhere tea at ebersham meant dinner and breakfast rolled into one supper at ebersham meant aldermanic barn-door fowls and a mighty home-cured ham weighing five-and-twenty pounds or so lobsters nestling among crisp green lettuces pigeon pie cheesecakes tarts and lest these lighter trifles should fail to satisfy the appetite a lordly cold sirloin by way of corps de reserve to come in at a critical juncture like blucher at waterloo mr dempson made himself the life of the party the small melancholy man who had bewailed the decline of the drama vanished altogether at sight of that plenteously furnished table and in his place appeared a jester of the first water so james penwin thought at any rate as he laughed with youth's gay silver-clear laughter at the low comedian's jokes even miss vilroy was sprightly though she had a worn look about the eyes as if she had aged herself prematurely with the woes of mrs haller and other heroines of tragedy justina sat next to james penwin and was supremely happy though only an hour ago she had shed tears of girlish shame at the idea of coming to a supper-party in her threadbare brown merino gown last winter's gown which she was obliged to wear in the warm glad spring for want of fitter raiment no one thought of her shabby gown however when the pale young face brightened and flushed with unwonted pleasure and the large thoughtful eyes took a new light and darkened to a deeper grey james penwin did his uttermost to make her happy and at ease and succeeded only too well there is no impression so swift and so vivid as that which the first admirer makes upon a girl of seventeen the tender words the subdued tones the smiles the praises have such a freshness 
the adulation of caesar in after years would hardly seem so sweet as these first flatteries of commonplace youth to the girl on the threshold of womanhood mr elgood saw what was going on but was by no means alarmed by the aspect of affairs he felt himself quite able to take care of justina even if mr penwin had been a hardened libertine instead of a kind-hearted youth fresh from the university he had no desire to stifle admiration which might mean very little but which would most likely result in liberal patronage for his own benefit and a trifling present or two for justina a ring or a bracelet or a box of gloves i don't want to stand in justina's light mused mr elgood as he leaned back in his chair and sipped his last glass of champagne when the pleasures of the table had given way to an agreeable sense of repletion what did that gypsy woman mean by the line of life and the planets asked justina she had lost all sense of shyness by this time and she and james were talking to each other in lowered voices as much alone as if the rest of the party had been pictures on the wall maurice marked them as he sat a little way apart from the others smoking his black-muzzled pipe pshaw only the professional jargon what does she know of the planets but she stared at your hand in such a curious way and looked so awful that she frightened me do tell me what she meant james laughed and laid his left hand in justina's palm upwards look there he said you see that line a curved channel that goes from below the first finger to the base of the thumb that is to say it should go to the base of the thumb but in my hand it doesn't see where the line disappears midway just by that seam left by my pocket-knife you can see no line beyond that scar ergo the line never travelled further than that point justina closely scrutinized the strong unwrinkled palm what does that mean she asked i don't understand even now it means a short life and a merry one the rare bloom faded from justina's cheek you don't believe in that she said anxiously no more than i believe in gypsies or spirit wrappers or the cave of trophonius answered james gaily what a silly child you are to look so scared justina gave a little sigh and then tried to smile even this first dawn of a girlish fancy airy as a butterfly's passion for a rose brought new anxieties along with it the gypsy's cant was an evil omen that disturbed her like a shapeless fear women resemble those medieval roisterers of whom the old chronicler wrote they take their pleasure sadly the moon was at the full there she sailed a silver targe above the distant hilltops james looked up at her looked into that profound world above which draws the fancies of youth with irresistible power the room opened on the garden by two long windows and the one nearest to mr penwin's end of the table stood open let us get away from the smoke he said vexed to see clissold's eye upon him fixed and gloomy the room was tolerably full of tobacco smoke by this time and mr elgood was urging mr dempson to favour the company with his famous song the ship's carpentier come into the garden justina said james gaily flinging a look of defiance at his monitor justina blushed hesitated and obeyed him they went out into the moonlit night together and strolled side by side across the rustic garden a slope of grass on which the most ancient of apple-trees and pear-trees big enough to have been mistaken for small elms cast their crooked shadows it was more orchard than garden a homely useful place altogether pot-herbs grew among the rose-bushes on the border by the boundary hedge and on one side of the inn there was a patch of ground that grew cabbages and broad beans 
but all the rest was grass and apple-trees at the end of that grassy slope ran the river silver shining under the moon ebersham seen across the level landscape looked a glorified city in that calm and mellow light the boy and girl walked silently down to the river's brim and looked at the distant hills and woods scattered cottages with low thatched roofs and antique chimney-stacks here and there the white walls of a mansion silvered by the moon and dominating all in sublime and gloomy grandeur the mighty towers of the cathedral god's temple rising like a fortalice and sanctuary above all human habitations as of old the acropolis justina gazed and was silent it was one of those rare moments of exaltation which poets tell us are worth a lifetime of sluggish feeling the girl felt as if she had never lived till now pretty isn't it remarked james very much in the tone of brumel who after watching a splendid sunset was pleased to observe how well he does it it is too beautiful said justina why too beautiful i don't know it hurts me somehow like actual pain you are like byron's lara but a night like this a night of beauty mocked such breast as his i hope it is not a case of bad conscience with you as it was with him no it is not my conscience the worst i have ever done has been to grumble at the profession and though father says it is wicked the thought of my wickedness has never troubled me but to me there's something awful in the beauty of night and stillness a solemnity that chills me i feel as if there were some trouble hanging over me some great sorrow don't you not the least in the world i think moonlight awfully jolly would you mind much my lighting a cigar you'll hardly feel the effects of the smoke out here i never feel it anywhere answered justina frankly father hardly ever leaves off smoking there was a weeping willow at the edge of the garden a willow whose lower branches dipped into the river and just beside the willow a bench where these two seated themselves in the full glory of the moon a much better place than the dusky summer-house which might peradventure be a harbour for frogs snails or spiders they sat by the river's brim and talked talked as easily as if they had a thousand ideas in common these two who had never met until to-day and whose lives lay so far apart they had youth and hope in common and that bond was enough to unite them james asked justina a good many questions about stage life and was surprised to find the illusions of his boyhood vanish before stern truth i thought it was such a jolly life and the easiest in the world he said i often fancied i should like to be an actor i think i could do it pretty well i can imitate buckstone and charles matthews pray don't think of it exclaimed justina you'd be tired to death in a year i dare say i should i'm not much of a fellow for sticking to anything i got ploughed a year ago at oxford and now i've been trying to read with clissold walking through england and wales and putting up all the quietest places we can find clissold is a first-rate coach and it won't be his fault if i don't get my degree next time how do you like him i don't know i haven't thought about him answered the girl simply this younger and fairer stranger had made her oblivious of maurice clissold with his tall strong frame dark penetrating eyes and broad brow too manly a man altogether to be admired by a girl of seventeen he is as good a fellow as ever breathed a little bitter perhaps but most wholesome things are bitter said james he has his crotchets 
one is that i am to be a model master of penwin by and by go into parliament marry an heiress set up as a fine old english gentleman in fact rather a worrisome metier i should think the worst of it is he keeps it continually before my mind's eye is always reminding me of how much i owe to penwin manor and my race and won't let me get much enjoyment out of youth's brief holiday he's a good fellow but i might love him better if i didn't respect him so much he was a great favourite of my poor mother's a romantic story by the way she was engaged to maurice's father some years before she married mine he was a captain in the east india company's service and fell fighting the niggers at gujarat years afterwards when my father was dead and gone clissold and i met at eton my mother burst into tears when she heard my schoolfellow's name and asked me to bring him to see her of course i obeyed and from that time to the day of her death my mother had a second son in maurice i think she loved him as well as she loved me and were you never jealous no i was too fond of both of them for that and then my dear mother was all love all tenderness i could afford to share her affection with my adopted brother and now tell me something about your own life there is so little to tell answered the girl drearily ever since i can remember we have lived the same kind of life sometimes in one town sometimes in another when father could afford the money he used to send me to a day-school so i've been a little educated somehow only i dare say i'm very ignorant because my education used to stop sometimes and by the time it began again i had forgotten a good deal poor child murmured james compassionately is your mother still living she died seven years ago she had had so much trouble it wore her out at last and justina paid her dead mother the tribute of a hidden tear i say jim do you know that it is half-past two o'clock and that mr elgood is waiting for his daughter asked the voice of common sense in the tones of maurice clissold the two children started up from the bench by the willow scared by the sudden question there stood mr clissold tall and straight and severe-looking i heard the cathedral clock a few minutes ago and i am quite aware of the time if mr elgood wants his daughter he can come for her himself replied james mr penwin was resolved to make a stand against his mentor and he felt that now was the time for action mr elgood and mr dempson came strolling out into the garden cigars in their mouths penwin's choicest brand had been largely sacrificed at the altar of hospitality judy have you forgotten the time asked the heavy father with accents that had a legato sound one syllable gliding gently into another a tone that was all sweetness and affection though indistinct yes father answered the girl innocently it's so beautiful out here beautiful echoed the father thickly look how the floor of heaven is thick inlaid with what's its names of bright gold come justina judy put on your bonnet and shawl mrs dampson has been fast asleep for the last half-hour but look the morn in russet mantle clad walks o'er the dew of yon high eastern hill which reminds me that we have nearly a mile to walk before we get home i'll go with you said james i want to arrange about to-morrow we must make up a jolly party for the races i'll get a roomy carriage that will hold all of us 
i haven't seen a race in anything like comfort for the last fifteen years responded mr elgood we'll make a day of it glissold and i will come to the theatre in the evening make your own engagements if you please james and allow me to make mine said mr clissold i shall not go to the races to-morrow or if i do it will be by myself and on foot and i shall not go to the theatre in the evening please yourself answered james offended they were all ready by this time mrs dempson had been awakened and shaken out of the delusion that she had fallen asleep on the sofa in her own lodgings and somewhat harshly reminded that she had a mile or so to walk before she could obtain complete repose mr dempson had finished his cigar and accepted another as solace during the homeward walk justina had put on her shabby little bonnet and mantle every one was ready the players took their leave of maurice clissold who was but coldly civil james penwin went out with them and gave his arm to justina as if it were the most natural thing in the world these two walked on in front the other three straggling after them walked arm in arm along the lonely footpath the low murmur of the river sounded near the stream showed silvery now and again between a break in the screen of alders they talked as they had talked in the garden about each other their thoughts and fancies hopes dreams imaginings o oh, youth o oh, glamour strange world in which for the first bright years we live as in a dream sweet dawn of life when nothing in this world seems so real as the hopes that are never to know fruition end of volume one chapters two and three